John H. Cox is an attorney, an investment advisor, and a business owner, a prominent figure in California. He ran for governor there in 2018. His new book is The Newsom Nightmare, The California Catastrophe and How to Reform Our Broken System. That is our very timely topic today. Welcome, Mr. Cox. Well, thank you for having me on, Mark. I really appreciate it. You can call me John, by the way. Uh, only my wife calls me Mr. Cox. Okay, okay, John. Uh, now, the, uh, the first question that I would ask really goes to the very first page. There's an interesting fact there. When you wrote this book, the Speaker of the House, the Vice President, the Head of Health and Human Services, and many, many other high-ranking officials in D.C., are Californians. Well, what is what does that say? Is that just is that just the power of California numbers, population? Yeah, I think that's partly a large part of it, I suppose, Mark. I mean, obviously we're the largest economy, the largest population. And and why is that, by the way? It's cuz we have the greatest weather in the country. Uh that's the reason my mom retired as a Chicago public school teacher and couldn't wait to retire to California. She lived in Fresno the last 20 years of her life. It's the reason I left Chicago uh, 20 years ago or so to come out here. Uh, it's, it's just gorgeous weather, gorgeous natural beauty, and lousy politicians. But uh, despite, <laughs> the, the, despite the political leadership, you know, the weather, they can't screw up the weather and the natural beauty, Mark. I guess that's the bottom line. Well, I'm I'm a native Californian, so I, I you know when I when I went to UCLA in 1980, it was great. Uh, I I've got to I got to tell you, it was it was great yeah. to be there uh, back then. But uh, does is it also? I mean, you know, so much of our culture now is run by social media and by Hollywood, various entertainment, and that's California too, right? Absolutely, as you correctly point out, it's the home of Hollywood and it's the home of just about all media, if you really look at it, uh, you're absolutely right. Google, Apple, uh, Meta, all these companies control. Uh, you, all you have to do is just walk down the street and you'll see people on their phones all the time. Uh, what are they doing? They're on Instagram or they're on Facebook or they're on Reels or whatever all these other things are. And, and TikTok, they're getting fed all this information from media that's part of what my book is about. Uh, and, you know, Gavin Newsom is a guy who grew up in California, obviously understands its power in terms of its media in Hollywood, uh, cultivates that to the nth degree. It's what yeah. got him into the positions he's in. And he feels, I think, that he can leverage that to become the most powerful person in the country and indeed the world as the president of the United States. And Given what he's done to California, uh, my book is a warning to the rest of the country that if you want to have the cost of living problems, the, the, the shortages that we have in California, the, the basic human problems that are ever present in California, well, go ahead and elect him president because you'll get those across the whole country. And I, I just don't think the rest of the country really should want that and that's why my book is a stark warning at the same time bar i want to be clear that my book has some positive aspects from the standpoint that i'm proposing a change in our electoral structure that 
actually could deal with those kinds of problems and 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 get us a, a real solution and, and a better country. And, and then that's well, hopefully we'll get were, a chance to talk about that. Well, you refer to something early in the book called the "Hear the People" project. What 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 led you to start that, and what what do you want to do with that? Well, what led me to start it, Mark, is I grew up on the south side of Chicago with a mom who was a Chicago public school teacher, and I saw how the the craven politicians in Chicago controlled the school system for their own purposes. And in point of fact, it still goes on today. Chicago is an absolute basket case. Um, murders, shootings, uh, high taxes, high cost of living, all the same problems California has. Obviously, I like I said, I moved to California for the weather, and I discovered California is even worse and more corrupt than Chicago. And it, it, it comes down to money and media, Mark. Our politicians, you know, are, are controlled by the money chase, and derivatively, therefore, by the media. Uh, if you if you if you look at our political system from thirty thousand feet, you'd look at it and you'd say, "Geez, this is the dumbest." political system you could ever imagine. Think about it a second. Uh, you've got politicians, political leaders who we want making good, solid, important, long-range decisions on our behalf, right? Yet they depend on people who want something from government in order to fund their campaigns. So they get and, money. And, from, they, and they want it now, right? Absolutely now, because they need re-election. And if they don't get the money now, they don't get re-elected. So what do they do? They go on emails, they go on social media, they go on regular media, they beg for money everywhere. Uh, uh, and of course, money flows in from who, Mark? Money flows in from people who want something from government. Uh, public sector unions, of course, uh, environmental lobbying groups, Big oil, big pharma, banks, healthcare companies, high, big tech. You know, these are the people that supply the money and the and the media for these politicians to get reelected. We as sheep go along with it. And we say, okay, well, you know, I, I saw that ad and the guy looks really good, or I recognize his name, or whatever. I vote for him. Or I vote for an R or a D because I generally hear things about what the D's want, what the R's want, and I somewhat agree with the D's. But, you know, most people who vote, they don't know who or what they're voting for. They just have seen some media or some blurb. You know, they don't get a chance to quiz their leadership. They don't get a chance to actually ask questions of their leadership to find out what the basis of a decision is or what the alternatives to a decision are, they just go along. And that's the hmm. problem with our system, Mark. We don't have an informed electorate, truly informed, uh, and we need to. So here the people is about reducing elections to such a tiny number of people that there's no choice but to get elected by going to people person to person. In a tiny little district, you've got to actually go to people and make a case for why you should be elected or make a hmm. case for why your policy is a good policy to the exclusion of other policies. You've got to defend 
your decisions on a certain policy profile. And if you can't, people will be able to tell in a one-on-one -on -one conversation if you're full of crap or not. And, you know, we don't get that now. Uh, so here the people is about reducing the size of elections. Structurally, by the way, what it does uh, is it divides congressional districts into 100 tiny districts. So a congressional district that's now 750,000 people becomes 100 tiny little districts of 7,500 people each. If, if districts are that small, only a few thousand people, uh, you're not going to need big media or big money to actually get elected. Uh, you can get elected by talking to a couple thousand people and letting them know who you are and what you're about and answering their questions. And, and what happens then is that the hundred people who were elected in those little districts, they get together and they decide on one of that group to go to Washington to be the congressman. The other 99 stay home. It doesn't create 99 new politicians, by the way. These are just people that get together once to choose the guy who goes to Washington. Uh, they go on with their lives and they don't have offices or pensions or anything like that. Uh, that's the structure that here the people is, is advocating. And uh, it, it would get rid of politicians like Gavin Newsom who are just you know, media creatures, to tell you the truth. Well, let's, let's go to, to Newsom. Uh, how, where and how did his political career begin? I actually, I, sh I should say, you, you, go, you go deep into this. I didn't know of his connection to the, to the Brown family, in fact, but, but go, oh, ahead. go ahead. Oh, yeah. I mean, his, it's almost as if, uh, you know, you remember the movie The Stepford Wives. I mean, he's like the Stepford candidate because he was, was basically bred for this from the start. Uh, his grandfather helped Pat Brown get elected governor back in the 50s and 60s. They had a falling out over, guess what, money. Uh, they got Squaw Valley, a ski area, handed to them by the state of California, and they made millions off of that. But apparently they wanted more, and Pat Brown wouldn't give it to them. So they, they, they dropped him, and Ronald Reagan was elected governor in a surprise in 1966. Uh, by 1974, they had made up, and William Newsom II, the grandfather was William Newsom I. The son, then, was William Newsom II, who was Gavin's father. And William Newsom II helped Jerry Brown get elected. Uh, hmm. He was rewarded with a, a judgeship by uh, by Jerry Brown. But more importantly, that political influence peddling got him to be the lawyer for J. Paul Getty. Now, you know, you are about my age, I suspect. So you'll remember who J. Paul Getty is. Anybody who's under 50 years old probably does will say who. But, you know, uh -huh. J. Paul Getty was the first billionaire, if you remember that, Mark. Uh, right. He he was a billionaire when there were no other billionaires in the world, literally. Uh, Getty was a big oil man who founded a, a company, and, and he got in good with the Saudi Arabians and got a concession from them, and that really multiplied his net worth. Well, he moved to California, and he wanted pull in California, so, of course, he dialed in William Newsom II, who 
son of, of William Newsom the first and being close to the California governorships and everything else like that was a big power broker. Well, William Newsom the second, Gavin's father, became the lawyer and the trustee for the Getty Trust when J. Paul Getty died. Hmm. And he made sure that Gordon Getty, one of J. Paul's many children from many marriages, uh, Gordon Getty got most of the benefits from J. Paul Getty. And guess what? Gordon Getty then basically adopted Gavin Newsom. Uh, didn't formally do it, of course. But Newsom grew up almost as a, another child of Gordon Getty. Uh, his best friend was Billy Getty, who was Gordon's son. And they catted hmm. around the Bay Area during their youth. Uh, Billy Getty was pretty wild, apparently. I don't know. Uh, but, but Gavin was almost trained from the start to be a mover and shaker. And, of course, when Gavin decided to get involved in politics, there was Gordon Getty with all of his socialite connections in the Bay Area helping him all the way through. And so he became a county supervisor, the mayor of San Francisco, as we know, and lieutenant governor, and now well, governor. Well, uh, he- he he you you say he, I think you say he was the youngest ever mayor of San Francisco at age 36. Correct? Absolutely. And and you don't get that without having money and pull. Yeah. And of course yeah. that's what it, that's what it's all about. And of course we're, that money made him a star. And he, you know he has good looks and he's well spoken so you know he's going to be there. Were there were there any signature policies of his two terms as mayor that that Stand out. Well, actually, believe it or not, he's widely considered to be a, 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 actually a decent mayor from the standpoint that he wasn't as wild-eyed, nutty as some of the politicians up there now, who, you know, let people live on the streets and don't arrest, you know, and don't prosecute, you know, police uh, resisting police, uh, and uh, you know, and mess up the school system and all the other kinds of crazy things that are going into San Francisco right now. Uh, Mr. Newsom governed as a veritable conservative uh, relative to these guys. Now, he did things that got a lot of attention, like he decided to marry gay couples. That was very popular there and got him national notoriety when, you know, the rest of the country wasn't quite ready for that. Didn't didn't he resist... Didn't he resist it when Proposition, was it 209, passed? That, I don't that remember was, that was, the that, that, number. Yeah, it was... It proposition, was, it was or, proposition 8 was the one that... Proposition uh, 8, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, the, that was the one that banned gay marriage, and it passed. Right. Uh, right. African Americans were very much in favor of Proposition 8. It was kind of an interesting coalition. Uh, right, but he, it, he, he renounced that law. Right. Oh, yeah. That, that, that made him was, a hero. It was quickly overturned by the Ninth Circuit, which is you know, decidedly pretty, uh, pretty liberal. But, uh, yeah, that, that's what got him noticed. Uh, you know, he also had some mess ups where he got caught having an affair with the wife of his campaign manager, who was also his best friend. I mean, that was a, a screw up. But he overcame that. And, of course, you know, listen, he, again. In a state of now 40 million people, he got himself a lot of notoriety, a lot of media attention, and obviously with his his looks and you know he's 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 reasonably well spoken. Uh, 
you know, if not duplicitous, and a guy who will bend any fact, uh, twist it beyond all recognition. Uh, you know, he's he's perfect for the media age. There's just no question that, you know, he's a he's a yeah. he's a, a Stepford candidate. He's just perfect for the media age. He's very telegenic. You 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 note that he actually is expert at handling the media. Well, what are some of the things yeah. that he's able to do in media situations that, that work so well for him? Well, you know, listen, I've been in business for 40 years, uh, Mark. I built my own business from scratch. And I've encountered a whole lot of people who will shovel a whole lot of stuff your way and really sound very good and very convincing. But at the end of the day, when you ask them questions and when you challenge it as a point that they make or they, you know, they get uh, they get they get a requirement that they have to back up their opinion. Uh, you quickly find out that, that they're an empty suit that they that they're re- regurgitating something that they've heard or seen, but they don't really understand why it's that certain way. That's Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom is very good at regurgitating stuff, but uh, when it comes time to actually you know, making a case and defending a position and actually responding to tough questions about it, uh, he's nowhere to be found. I will say, too, look at the results in California. Uh, this is the most advanced technological state, supposedly, in the country, yet you've got to wait sometimes three or four hours to get a driver's license renewed. I mean, how stupid is that? Uh, hmm. I used to live in Florida a little bit. I got my license renewed in 15 minutes. Uh, uh, in California, when I moved here, it took two and a half hours. Uh, you know, the results speak for themselves, Mark. We, we have we have uh, incredible cost of living, high energy costs, yet we have shortages of energy. I mean, he wants us all to buy electric cars, but, you know, every August they tell us to not use our air conditioners because we don't generate enough electricity. The results speak for themselves, and and I'm a results-oriented kind of guy. I I hope most people are results-oriented, and if you look at California's current condition, you'd you'd have to say that the results just don't merit uh, this guy getting promoted anywhere. Chapter 5 describes in detail a, quote, great exodus. What's going on there? What is that? Well, people who can... Are moving. Uh, you know, if you're a farmer, you can't very well move your farm. If you're a doctor, it's very difficult to move your practice. If you're a small businessman with an established clientele, good luck setting up business in another state. You know, you've got an established clientele. They're not going to move with you, presumably. Uh, I will also add, you know, it's so funny because I watched that so-called debate between Newsom and DeSantis, and Newsom is crowing about how many great businesses and how much wealth is created in California, <coughs> which is another example uh, of his great, you know, uh, ability to manipulate figures. But of course, what he isn't going to tell you is that most of those great businesses locate in California because of the weather and the natural beauty. I mean, let's face it. If you're a smart guy, a girl, and you want to start a great business, and you, you, what are you going to do? You, you're going to want to live in the state with the greatest weather and the greatest natural beauty. So, 
Of course, they locate in California. They quickly discover how crazy this state is in terms of regulation and taxes and cost of living. So like Elon Musk, perfect example, he started Tesla here, but the expansion of Tesla is happening elsewhere. Uh, it's in Texas now it's based. Uh, so yeah. Elon decided quickly to move. Uh, he was part of that California exodus, but there's many, many, many others, Nestle, Toyota, uh, a whole bunch of other companies that, that had major operations in California, moved them, you know, very quickly to other places. You know, we might attribute a lot of the problems in California to Democrat governance. And yet, a few years ago, Democrats got a supermajority in, in California. How has how the supermajority distorted some of the ordinary political politics uh, well, uh, in the state? The big decisions that were made were the ones that gave public sector unions the ability to fund the people that sit across the table from them. I mean, in every other walk of life, Mark, we would look at that situation and say, this is just an open invitation for corruption. You know, you've got yeah. a public sector union representative on one side of the table, and he's representing a union that is funneling big money to the candidate on the other side of the table in order to get them elected. Uh, how could you expect anything to be different? And, and that's hmm. what's created the supermajority. I mean, come on. I, you know, California made a big decision in 1999. They basically increased, very quietly, by the way, increased the public sector pensions of workers in the state uh, by massive amount, 50%. Uh, they changed the accrual from 2 to 3%. So now, after that law passed, again, quietly, it's when you know the internet companies were going crazy in the internet boom, right, in the late 90s. A, a, a cop, a, a, a wonderful public servant, of course, a, a highway patrolman, could start working at age 22, Years later, at 3% per year, they would have 90% of their salary accrued. So they'd be 52 years old, which, by the way, is young to me. And hmm. at 52 years old, they could retire and get 90% of their last few years' salary for the rest of their lives. Nice. Think about that for a second. 52 you know, they live to 82. That means for the next 30 years, the state of California is going to pay them a pension that's 90% of their salary. And guess what? They don't have to live in California either. You know, the, the pensions were justified because of the high cost of living in California. I just read an article that a whole bunch of them have moved to Coeur d'Alene uh, in, uh, in Idaho. Idaho. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's called Blue. Well, John, John. I don't the, know. The state, with people leaving the state, uh, is is the revenue going to be there to to pay all those pensions? Yeah, that's a very interesting question, Mark, because we are seeing now the fruits of this whole thing. First of all, we have a, a trillion-dollar unfunded pension. Uh, we'll never, I don't think, be able to pay that off. Uh, and, and by the way, we also have retiree health care, because in addition to the pension they got promised, they got promised 
healthcare from age 52 when they retire until they qualify for Medicare. So that's a yeah. long time. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a, a very difficult thing. It's, it's why we have a $68 billion deficit right now. Uh, Newsom was bailed out in 2020 because the stock market went up because everybody was at home, according to his order, of course. Uh, and because they were home, there was nothing to do but go on a computer. So the computer companies just went to town. Uh, you know, the computer industry had huge stock market gains in 20 and 21 because everybody was at home and working on a computer. And those stock market gains fueled a, a nice surplus in California. Well, guess what? Those stock market gains have actually gone down or, or moderated. And California now, its tax system is heavily stilted to the top 1%, many of whom have left the state or at least left it for seven months of the year so they don't have to pay tax here. Yeah, and uh, the deficit is sixty-eight billion. Understand this, Mark. The trouble is again, <coughs> Newsom spent that extra money. The state budget, after inflation and after population growth, has actually doubled per capita in the last ten years. Think about that for a second. The state budget after inflation, after population growth. So those are factored in. State budget has doubled. Where is this money going? Hmm. What the pensions, the health care, and of course many other things. We have a state-run bank now. Uh, we're providing not only benefits for undocumented immigrants, illegal aliens. We're also providing them with uh, health care. Uh, provided by Mr. Newsom. He has massively increased salaries for state workers. Uh, think about this for a second, Mark. There's 40 million people in the state, probably about 25 million adults that are employed. 10%, about 2.5 million, are government employees. Think about that for a second. Wow. Think about those numbers. <laughs> 2 million. The, the Teachers Association has 400000 just by itself. Now, their annual dues are about $1,000 a year. Think about this. Think about this financial juggernaut that is a huge power in this state. No other business or entity has these kinds of numbers. $1,000 a year from 2 million workers is a lot of money, billion dollars a year, and it's got to get spent because they get it every year. They can't hold on to it. So guess what they spend it on? Television, media, social media, hmm. uh, workers who go around the state to gin up votes. Uh, it is an absolute machine, Mark. And is, is, you, you know, the, John, media, been... the media ignores it because they benefit from it. But go ahead. Well, is there any chance of any kind of populist resistance uprising? I mean, Newsom, Newsom won that recall handily, right? Uh, 
no, no, no chance of a, of, of a California Republican Party, you know, this, rising up. This is what I. This is why I've shifted to the U.S. Congress because people understand their Congress. They actually feel the Congress is important. It's the, the, the founders created the U.S. Congress as a people's Congress. And I think if I can get people interested in this idea of here are the people and we can get these little tiny sub districts where you've got neighborhood representative, we call them community representatives in these little tiny districts. My hope is that we can get good people to serve in these positions who then, because they know what's going on and because they know the issues and because they are uh, competent and they have good character and they're natural leaders. We can find 43,000 natural leaders all around this country to be in these community representative positions. If we can get this done where they can actually know constituents and they can actually have conversations with their constituents and actually tell them, well, here's why it's unsustainable have a police officer retire at age 52 on 90% of their salary. I think most people would agree. That of course. It's just unsustainable. Yeah, I think most people would agree with that. Uh, but that message doesn't get through now. I mean, it just doesn't. And and so that's why I'm working on this congressional idea, because if we can get these districts small and people can get one-to-one contacts, we can communicate these ideas. And I think they're indefensible. I, I don't know how you can defend having somebody retire on the public dime at age 52 with 90% of their salary for the rest of their life, plus retiree health care. I just don't think that people would agree with that. They would just say, what? That can't be. Well, we will uh, we'll see what happens in the in the next year with, uh, with Governor Newsom and also with your with your project. Let's uh, get that word it's... out further. For now, the book is The Newsom Nightmare, The California Catastrophe and How to Reform Our Broken System. John Cox, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mark. I really appreciate the help.